Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here once again with my friend, my covenant brother, my colleague, Ross Ferguson. Hey, I'm back. You're back. Academic advising is taking a toll. You, you, you really gotta, like that phrase. I don't do. You? There's something about the. Uh, I like to. I like to riff on 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 people's jobs. So, when I was uh, co-hosting with Ronnie Kurtz and he was uh, assistant director of marketing, I always kind of played on the assistant thing because he was really the only like marketing director guy. Uh, it's like, who are you the assistant to? Or are you this? You know, he's assistant director of marketing. <laughs> I just I, I thought that was fascinating. So yeah, I'll play on the. On the riff, academic advising. I'm an academic advisor. What's the hardest <laughs> scenario? What's the hardest question somebody has asked you <laughs> that you've said, oh, man, I've only been here a week. I don't know. Well, to be honest, the most common question I get is the portal's not working for me. The and portal. the most uh, common answer I give is log out and log back in. <laughs> so clearly, you know, <laughs> my academic advising title <laughs> stretches to that. To be honest, the hardest thing, uh, and and I am jumping off the deep end now into something serious, is that... Um, I get a lot of students that are actually saying I'm really struggling with with ministry life. I, mm. I'm under pressure from work. I feel like quitting my studies. More than that, I feel like quitting my position at yeah. church. And 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 they say this to their academic advisor. Yeah, because okay. because they're basically saying, "How do I get out of I have my college experience? I how, see. How, how do I yeah. not fail this class?" Yeah. And so my job at that time is actually more pastoral. I, I'm not really advising them academically. Right, right. I'm more going from the perspective of let let me pray for you because. You know, I I know what that's like to be under pressure. Yeah. I did have one guy, okay. <laughs> which if you're listening, I'm really sorry that I find this funny. Uh, but he got through to the end of uh, the term and he was doing really well in, in his class and he wanted to quit with three days left to go. And I was oh. like, well, if you quit now, like you're not going to do well because your final exam is like two days away. You're, yeah. pro- you're probably going to get an F grade. You know, you, you, you want to just do the exam. And he went, I can't, I just can't manage it. And I was like, okay, you, you're going to have to have a really good reason because if we want to appeal this, it's going to have to be a good reason. He went, I don't think it's a good reason. I was like, why is that? He went, fancy going to Hawaii. So I just booked the tickets and I'm off and I forgot I was doing an exam. And I was like, I mean, I don't know what to do with that, but I'm sure there's internet in Hawaii. And he went, yeah. I'm going into the middle of nowhere. There's no internet. And I was like, I'm like looking at the office like, someone help me because I don't know what to do with this guy. He wants to go on holiday or vacation, I should say, for Americans. But yeah, I get such a range of questions that that I have to deal with. That's good. Well, it's good that you're very sensitive with them. Not always. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is my uh, trying to to, to create an on-ramp to our conversation. Okay, I see. You'll you'll pick up on my my, – Jarringly bad. I, I, if that is, if this is what this is going to be, that was really because we're talking about secret sensitivity today. I thought it's good that you're sensitive. So you, you'll pick up. Okay. It, it'll take you a little while. You, you, you'll acclimate to my uh, uh, transitions. <laughs> I'm trying to create a transition. I think you need to improve on the I'm meant to understand them. Yeah, you know. So um, I was trained for ministry under the what we used to call the secret sensitive. You don't hear that phrase too much in, in, um, anymore. It's uh, most of it has kind of bled into the larger attractional kind of paradigm, which has, you know, 31 flavors to it. But back in the day, seeker-targeted, seeker-sensitive was kind of the deal, especially over here. The biggest uh, influences would have been like Willow Creek Church in, mm-hmm. in uh, outside Chicago and Saddleback Church in, in California. Um, those would have been the two primary influences. They're all different, kind, you know, maybe North Point in Atlanta where Andy Stanley is, that sort of thing. 
Um, and I was trained for ministry. So when I started out, right, you know, 1994, and I'm raring to go, I want to be um, a pastor, and I'm starting in student ministry. Uh, my first mentor was like, here's the book you got to read, uh, Purpose Driven Church. And so that's the that's the book that, you know, I first went through for my, you know, uh, pastoral mentorship. And I was in a, a Willow Creek model uh, church, very consciously one, not even, you know, by influence, but like direct, like we're going to the, you know, leadership conferences. We're going to learn direct from the source. How do you do church? And we're going to do that in our church. And and that's kind of the the world that I learned ministry first in and, 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 and really um, was in favor of it. I mean, I would have been a, you know, apologist, I suppose, for seeker sensitive ministry because the, you know, the heart of it, the core of it is we want lost people to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's somewhat reactionary in that we grew up in church cultures that didn't seem to do evangelism very well and, and, you know, created these kind of churchy barriers to people knowing Jesus, you know, religious barriers and church tradition things. Can we eradicate those things and build bridges now and create an environment that is more conducive to people coming to know Christ who don't know Christ? You can emerge this with kind of the church growth movement in the uh, 70s and 80s, uh, Peter Wagner and, and some of those, George Hunter, some of those guys, Church for the Unchurched. And you merge these things together. And what you have is primarily what's called a seeker service. So the Sunday morning worship gathering is reconceived as an evangelistic event for the lost. And it's come to the point now where you have guys, I mean, I'm sure people said it back then too, but there are guys who very forthrightly will say, like Stephen Furtick and others, if you're a Christian, this church is not for you. Mm. Or the day you got saved, that's the last day this church was for you. Um, they, they like legitimately say these things and, and because this church exists for the lost. Let's talk about that for a moment. The, the topic for our, our episode is the right kind of seeker sensitivity. So we're not closed off to that whole idea. At least I'm not. Maybe you are. We'll have a little debate. That's good. Uh, but this kind of seeker sensitivity is the kind that we're like, oh, okay. What's the problem, primary issue that you see with the, uh, the m- most common kind of seeker sensitivity? Be honest, it's just a fake gospel. <laughs> okay. I'm going right. to talk about gonna, that. Fake I'm just going to delve right. right in there, okay? Um, because this idea that you know, come know Jesus, put a smile on your face, everything's <laughs> going to be great. Yeah. And once you know Jesus, go out there. You're you're now in the mission field, going to serve. Like yeah. that's just not real because mm. the reality is, you're just saying to somebody, you just have to say a prayer and feel good, and then then you're in this new life. And then to just release those individuals into the world, into a setting where they have no equipping, um, no examples to follow, no reality of what it means to be a Christian, just just leads people to failure. Um, it's interesting. I did attend one church um, a few years ago. I was visiting and I felt guilty leaving the service that I wasn't happy. Like mm. it was this service like, hey, everyone, let's be happy because Jesus loves you. And it was, it was super seeker sensitive. It was all about reaching the lost and I was sitting there going, I guess I'm meant to feel happy at this point, but I don't know what I'm meant to be happy about. Right. This guy's like bouncing up and down on the platform. You're like, I, like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what it means. Um, so yeah, personally, I just think it gives a kind of fake look at what it means to okay. live as a Christian. Yeah, what what happened over time, and, and this is something actually, I, I was several years out of it before I even was able to kind of discern this, but 
it it went from we got to get them in the room, got to get lost people in the room so they can hear the gospel, mm. to not presenting the gospel. It became more really was law. If you're thinking in kind of you know reformed categories, law and gospel, law and grace, it became more let's make the Bible relevant or applicable. Mean, that's the language that they would use, that we would use, that I would use. Let's make the Bible practical or relevant to their everyday life. And so we're going to show how the Bible can help you be good with your finances and have a happy marriage and, and be, ha- you know, be yeah. a happy person, that sort of thing. And, and, and what it is is every week a daily dose of kind of principles, biblical principles. I, I didn't quite – I mean, I, I knew there was a problem with that when I had this kind of awakening to the gospel where I thought, gosh, like I, the gospel's for Christians too, and I'm not hearing it, even at a church that's designed – for lost people to know Jesus, they're not preaching the gospel. It's, it's all law. After a while, coming out of it, I was able to look back and go, this is really upside down. We're going to give to unregenerate people biblical principles? Yeah. Like, what's the best that could do is, yeah. you know, create well-behaved pagans is, yeah. is, is the best that can do. And, you know, and it, it sets people up for either two tracks, either self-righteousness mm. Because they think, oh, I can do all these great things and I'm doing good things for God. And they have kind of a self-righteous existence or despair more likely or burnout because you end up on this treadmill of like, I'm doing great things for God. And you don't feel a certain way or you're not getting the results that you want in a kind of prosperity type thinking. And you just give up because you're like, what's the, you know, what's the point? So one of the big issues that I have is just as a movement, the gospel got taken out of Mm -hmm. this of this idea. But then what replaced it was not just, you know, was kind of warmed over legalism and, you know, pragmatism and consumerism. You mentioned, Ross, uh, on, on, on our last episode together, I think it was, or maybe it was two episodes ago, um, about the fog and lasers type stuff, yeah. which I, I, I was, I, I shouldn't be shocked that you had that in your, you know, previous context that that was a... Not in my church. Just not in your clear. church, but in your context, <laughs> yeah. there were churches that did that sort of thing. I shouldn't be shocked that that's a global phenomenon. I know it's a global uh, phenomenon. But I was kind of taken aback like, oh, gosh, even in dear old Scotland, they, yeah. <laughs> they're doing the fog and lasers thing. Yeah. Um, like that's a deal. Yeah. And the whole point is, let's talk about this for a moment. The point is you, you're trying to create an experience. Um, and, 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 in fact, sometimes that language is even used. There are even churches that will say the 9 a.m. experience or, <laughs> right, they refer to the service or to the gathering as an experience. We want to create an experience. And the idea uh, behind that um, is in some way trying to build a bridge or create contextualization for people to be receptive to hear the gospel or to know biblical principles. And that's why, for instance, we'll play songs on Sunday morning that they might hear on the radio, that sort of thing. What What's the thinking behind that, and, and why is there an error in that? I think genuinely people live in a fairly tough environment. I mean, if if we're really blunt and honest, which Scottish people tend to be, you know, the, <laughs> the world is a miserable place at times. You know, people find their work hard, their families hard. They're going from difficult situation to difficult situation, and it seems increasingly more so in, in recent years. So the experience on Sunday is meant to elevate you out of that right. into this wonderful world that is, you know, church. And therefore, the idea of just you know sitting and listening to a 40-minute sermon as a, just a surface thing seems really strange. Why would I come and be lectured at? Yeah. So people want that feeling of, ah, oh, I feel free. The, the, the issues have been lifted off my shoulders. And look at all these people. They're having such great times. The reality is that experience finishes in an hour 
Mm. And it will might give you a little bit of a high, maybe over lunch, but then on Monday morning, you're going back to work and that hardness comes back. Yeah. And you have nothing as a foundation because it's hard to remember the good experience. I mean, mm. if I asked you right now, please describe to me all this wonderful experience you had, you know, two months ago on this one hour slot, you're going to struggle to pull back the same feeling. And when you place everything about feeling, those feelings just disappear really quickly. Hmm. Is it like um, akin to almost like a dopamine rush of some yeah. kind? Like you're going in for your shot yeah, and then the high wears off. So it's not it's something lasting. It's, oh, gosh, I got to go in for my shot of Jesus or for my yeah. shot of religion or my shot of inspiration. Yeah. What's more, really more interesting likely. in the UK is when we went through COVID and there was a lot of restrictions, so a lot of churches started um, live streaming their services, there was a huge decline in people viewing, and, and I, I understand what I'm saying here in terms of the context of theology and, and what we do with church, but there's a huge decline in people viewing seeker-sensitive services because mm. the feeling isn't there. You're just sitting in your house watching yeah. people kind of scream at you in a happy way. Um, <laughs> right. I watched a few. And, and let's be like, honest, some of them, like, they're just bad versions of things you can get on regular television or 100%. YouTube. <laughs> and they usually come with, I still remember one. <laughs> like, I was like, you know, if, if you're feeling like COVID's just like tearing your family apart, what you need to do is give mm. and give more. And I was about to say, seeker sense moves very quickly into prosperity yeah. and the reason you're not happy is because you haven't given to the church. And the reason this experience doesn't feel good is because we don't have enough money to put on an even better experience. Yeah. So it's all about <laughs> feelings. Right. Okay. Um, we talked a little bit about the sincere heart, at least in the beginning of the seeker-sensitive movement. And I would say even probably in, in the attractional uh, world, there, there is a sincerity and there's a good motive, which is that lost people come to know Jesus. Um, I think we're agreed that the the outworking of that has not been very biblical or um and I would argue probably even very successful. I think um one of the things that we've seen at least over here over the last 20 30 years is that these sorts of churches ha- haven't been so great at reaching unchurched people as they are at reaching disaffected church people, de-churched people um and people who are just sort of transferring churches around they go mm-hmm. to the next great experience and 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 the data has shown that as as well. Um so let's talk about then um, about seeker sensitivity itself. Are there ways in which a church should be sensitive to seeker? If you want to call that word, I know there's probably yeah. some theo, you know, there's some theo, you know, theologian guy out there right now going, "No one seeks God, no, not one." <laughs> Please, <laughs> all right, we're acknowledging that theo, bro. We 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 want you to to uh, um, hear us just mean someone who may be visiting for whatever reason. And they're not a believer, right? Maybe they are legitimately on a spiritual journey. Maybe they were brought by a friend or a family member or something. Uh, but in general, there's a right way to be sensitive. Yes, hundred percent. You know, should we be totally insensitive to seekers? Hundred no. percent. I think um, there's multiple areas that we need to consider. And I'm going to tell a story which will cover one area. I was okay. in a, a fairly legalistic church. It was kind of loosening up a little bit, uh, but it hadn't had a, a salvation in a long time and really no one knew had come to the church for a long time mm. and we were able to invite this this one lady and our son non-christian completely seeker sensitive she was genuinely interested in the gospel she wanted to come to church and she loved the service she loved the service and then afterwards we had this kind of lunch and and we always kind of had some some form of food afterwards it was a small church and our kids just has never really been in the situation so just kind of freaks out a little bit 
<laughs> and lobs his cup of juice across the room. And and when I say lob, like proper 20 feet throw okay, towards wow. the couple of old people in the corner yeah, type yeah. thing. And she was pulled aside by one of the elders and basically told that her son's behavior was not warranted in a church setting. She would need to consider about whether she should come back to church or not. Oh my word. And we had a chat with her. My wife and I had a chat with her afterwards. And she said, hey, I love the service, but why is everyone so miserable and rule keeping? And she never, ever went back to church ever again after that. And as far as I'm aware, this was a few years ago, as far as I'm aware, she hasn't returned to church since. So I think the environment shouldn't be about happy clappy, but it should be an environment that understands that people yeah. are coming to church, potentially having never stepped foot in a church before. That's right. And so we have to be sensitive towards that whole environment. You know, when do you stand? When do you sit? Where should they sit? Who you should introduce them to? And understanding that their kids might not be, um, you know, au fait with what goes on in church. You know, understanding that an hour and 15 minutes for the Christian in the church can sometimes feel long. For the one that's never been to church, it can right. feel long. So I think that we still need to consider the environment, but it's not about happy clappy. It's about actually, are we making you feel comfortable enough so that you can actually engage with the gospel and the community of believers? Yeah. You know, I think... Um Part of that sort of uh, removal of barriers, right? So one of the things a seeker-sensitive church was trying to do was say, let's get rid of churchy stuff, traditional stuff, uh, things that are barriers between unbelievers. We, we would say we understand the impulse. Some of that churchy, traditional stuff is things that are are, are necessary to the context and the culture of of a local church. Um, but we do want to be, um, as Paul, you know, sort of um, exhorts us to be in First Corinthians chapter fourteen intelligible, right? So there's some things that unbelievers just aren't going to understand because they don't know the Bible. Um, even trying to avoid church ease isn't entirely um, you know, possible because there's just some level of language that comes with the culture. If you use the word communion or different things, or even just the Lord's Supper or any, you know, any kind of you know, circumlocution you can come up with to try like, what's the, the best way to articulate this? I think that's beside the point, but you want to be appropriately intelligible so that someone sitting in the service has mm-hmm. has some clue of what's going on. They're able, even if they don't understand the details of everything or the substance of everything, they know what you're doing. It's yeah. it's orderly. So and it's it's hospitable in the sense of just being aware that there are unbelievers present. That to me is one of the biggest, I think, concerns I have is for those who have rejected the seeker sensitive idea. Um, and they have rightly adopted the biblical idea, which is that the gathering is for believers. So the very idea, like the day you became a Christian is the last day this church was for you. It's like, no, no, that's the first day this church really, yeah. you know, in terms of the you know church gathering is for you. You're now, you know, a member. You're now, you know, a part of the body. Um, you know, it's like saying to, you know, to body parts, we have no need of you, right? Acknowledging, a, you know, embracing that the gathering is primarily for believers, which I think, you know, um, Paul using the word outsiders is really important, I think, because it's it's telling us something significant about their presence that it's not for them. And yet he wants us to be hospitable to them. This is where the right kind of seeker sensitive, you know, sensitivity comes in. And part of that is that you have a service that is somewhat intelligible and that there's an awareness, which I think a lot of folks lack in their preaching in particular. They're not thinking about unbelievers in in the room. And I'm not saying you gotta gear your message to unbelievers. But you you should at least anticipate objections, doubts, questions, things that they may have. And, and there's some really simple principles that won't take a lot of your your time yeah. limit out. 
uh, to be able to actually allow that. So I, I posted this a little while ago and I believe you ribbed me on this in, in class one day, <laughs> but I, I can't stand when people say, hey, we're going to turn to Genesis 1 or we're going to turn to Romans 1 and then immediately start reading out. You know, be sensitive. Yeah. Some people don't know where they're going in their Bible. Right. You know, even say, hey, use the contents page. It will be on page this. Or when you're using words like communion or Lord's Supper, give a brief explanation. That's it doesn't right. take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of effort to actually give that explanation, yeah. but it, it gives you the awareness that you, you're not assuming that everyone knows the same thing. Uh, I remember preaching through Daniel and I had finished this sermon that Daniel was in the lion's den. So he was left there. And I kind of jokingly said, and you'll have to come back next week to find out uh, <laughs> how the story ends. And I kind of joke, assuming everyone in the room would know what, what what's going to happen. And there was one lady that was audibly shocked the following week when Daniel cried out because she had never read the story mm -hmm. of Daniel and I still remember hearing her uh, shocked and kind of exasperation that she was like, my goodness, he's saved. <laughs> and it was that moment that I changed how I preached because there was that kind of light bulb moment. Not everybody in this so room. So she went a whole week kind of. A whole week. She didn't read oh, the story. It was a cliffhanger. She, she purposely <laughs> waited because she wanted to see what would happen. Yeah. And again, it's that if we preach in a way that we understand there's a spectrum of what people know mm. from the from the person that's first in to the you know multi PhD individual that that knows their Bible through and through. The reality is we should preach so that each person will get something from it. Yeah, and it's actually relatively simple to do. You just have to have a mindset for it. Yeah, you, to be aware and to be hospitable. Let's even just think. You in the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about the environment or. Um, you know, you know, the place stuff. Let's talk about the physical environment. You know, and this isn't even just for unbelievers, but just new people for visitors. I think a lot of folks like you, you, you're so used to your church experience, who's sitting where and where everything is and what time things start. And I remember when we first, you know, um, came to a church and we're walking in and we had a family who was visiting with us who had small children. We didn't know where the kids' classrooms were or who was supposed to go to what. And the first couple people we asked didn't know. There was like no one who was tasked with, you're the guy who knows or you're the gal who knows so that people know where to take their kids. So imagine a, um, unbelievers coming with a child or unbelievers is showing up and you've got a facility where they don't exactly know where to go or there's some uncharted or unspoken tradition of everyone gathers for coffee outside the whatever before the service. And they don't know that and they're wondering, where is everybody, you know? Some of these things just with signage. Yep. I mean, this sounds very pragmatic, but having good signage and having people, warm, welcoming people who know all the things that, that somebody might ask, where is this? And where yeah. sh is it okay if I sit? Like, where should I sit? You know, all these sorts of things. Having people who can answer those questions uh, is part of being appropriately seeker sensitive, I think. I mean, something I experienced when I was younger attending church, and I actually, I, I placed this in my ministry. So for every church I've served in, I've always stood at the front door as people arrive, hmm. always at every service. Uh, and my viewpoint is I want to see everybody that's coming in. So I'll even stay beyond the first song being sung because I want to see anyone that's coming a little bit late. And when you do that on a weekly basis as a pastor, you actually start to see new faces. And you start to learn who are these people have never been to my church. And you go, hey, I don't know your name. I haven't seen you before. Oh, it's for Sunday. Oh, you've got kids. Okay, let me get you in touch with so-and-so. And actually yeah. the pastor taking the lead for that on the front door, personally, I've found is really successful in just actually helping some of these things. I mean, I remember my first Sunday at, at Liberty here 
in Kansas City. And, you know, I've been to church in, for 20 years. I've served in multiple church settings. I still remember going, which car park should I park in? Because there's two car parks. <laughs> right. And one said staff and one said guests. And I went, oh, I'll get, I guess I'll park in the guest car park. And it was full. <laughs> and you're like, oh, uh, I don't know I what go? to do. Wait, one of them um, says staff? Uh, one of them says something like uh, staff or visitors or church members or something like that. No, 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 no. There's no. Uh, l- let me tell you what it is, brother. And and I don't understand it either. But there's a whole row that says reserved. Yes. I don't. Who's it reserved for? I don't know. You and I both have this question. Because <laughs> I, I pull in and go, can I park there? Yeah. I don't know. Who's it reserved for? Well, I, I think it's reserved for people who are not disabled. So they're not handicapped spaces. Uh, but for older m- members who maybe have trouble walking up steps and everything. See, I, I change think, it on a weekly basis. I think that's who that's reserved for. I go for it. It's reserved for us because we're running late. Or <laughs> it's reserved for us because it's really hot and I need to be close to the door. Or it's yeah. reserved for us. It's poor Marine. Okay. You know, so I just change on a weekly basis. But genuinely, yeah. these simple things yes. make it easier for somebody who is unchurched to come to church. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a question, though. Okay. Um, sure. Because you've asked me plenty of questions. I want to okay. ask you a question. Um. Sermon length. So (laughs) (laughs) this is a question that I think is just universally debated. So there's, I don't believe there's a right answer, but the seeker sensitive model is that the sermon needs to be shorter because people don't want to sit there for any length of time. The non seeker sensitive viewpoint is you will sit as long as I've got material for. Yeah. Where's the balance there? Because we can do signage, we can do welcomes, we can help people where they're sitting and things, but the sermon is the main chunk of the, the, the service. So how do we help outside of that in terms of just timing, in terms of how we set that up for the the unchurched person coming. Yeah, I would almost go the other way to say someone who's not used to church may have a longer attention span because it's not something they're accustomed to. Mm. So there's a level of interest that might elongate their attention. However, it's not the seeker or the unbeliever that I'm thinking of necessarily, but just the average person, the amount of material you can take in at once. So I tend to think that the um, the sweet spot is probably about 35 minutes. Um, that's on the shorter side if you're kind of in the reform camp where you're going yeah. 45 minutes an hour or whatever. Um, that's still seen as a little long for those who like the 20-minute homily, that sort of thing. I think 35 minutes is probably about right. Some Maybe a little, you know, 35, 40 maybe, but sometimes 30. I think somewhere in that range is probably uh, where you can do the text adequate, you know, justice. You know, much shorter than that, and I don't think you can really adequately preach a text and, and, and give the spirit of expositional preaching. But much longer than that, I feel like, you know, you're kind of testing people's ability to not just retain information, but um, you're competing not just with their with their mind, but even like physically to sit in one place and, um, you know, passively for that amount of time, you know. Because you often yeah. see at Easter and Christmas, you know, when we generally get unchurched folks coming to church— yeah that we shorten everything right down. Mm. Certainly my experience has been in churches that is like, hey, we'll do a 10-minute talk, no more. Um, and you're sitting there going <laughs> right. like, okay, I, I, what I tend to do is I just take my 30-minute yeah. material and speak really fast and mm. do it in 10 minutes. But, you know, there's that situation where we think the that we have to create a different environment, no. a different service for unchurched. But actually, it's the same service, yeah. just as you say, sensitive. Well, I mean, for believers or unbelievers alike, you know, no good sermon is is too long and, and no bad sermon <laughs> is too short, right? Um, and I just think it's rare for any preacher to be able to sustain mm-hmm. quality above 35, 40 minutes yeah. probably. So most of us, with rare exceptions, yeah. need to be in that kind of 30, 35 minutes range. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I, I, you know, I think we've talked about, um, you know, the, 
to the right correction to seeker sensitivity is not seeker insensitivity, but the right kind of seeker sensitivity, uh, a biblical awareness. And, you know, you and I are both uh, committed to the gospel-centered paradigm. If you're a gospel-centered preacher, you're a gospel-centered church, the beauty is you're giving the gospel to the believers who need it to grow and be sanctified, um, you know, by the grace of God. But also any unbelievers present will legitimately hear the good news. So, um, you know, it's the skeleton key for believer and, 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 and unbeliever alike is to embrace gospel centrality, which is um, really the point of this podcast is trying to advocate for gospel centrality in the world. Anything else you want to say on Seeker? To be honest, the, the only other thing I was going to say is preach that you genuinely believe the gospel. Mm, so you okay. can say gospel centrality and say, you know, we're giving the gospel out, but yeah. it can feel like a treadmill each Sunday. Hey, just to remind people, this is the gospel. And if you're, <laughs> if you're not a Christian, Jesus right. loves you, you know, it's that kind of, like we can get almost stagnated. It in becomes it. perfunctory. Exactly. Yeah. Preach every week. Like it's genuinely your last sermon mm. that you can engage with people with the gospel and God's word with authority. So I, there should be no miserable yeah. preacher. There should be no preacher that sits there and just kind of shares yeah. the gospel as if it's just happening again. Because genuine believers and unbelievers are attracted, if you want to put it that way, yeah. to somebody who absolutely deep down believes yeah. that Christ is their Savior. Well, this point that you're making combined with the point you were making earlier about the lady who came to church mm. and the, the guy who took her aside and, you know, this isn't conducive to your kid acting like a kid, you know, that sort of thing. Is, it really boils down to, I think, the major question that people walking into church have unspoken is, do these people actually believe this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe they're thinking, do I, do I believe this or do I want to believe this? But they're not just trying to figure out, is the sermon, you know, interesting? Yeah. Is the music interesting or whatever, you know, entertaining or whatever, you know, unbelievers, you know, whatever language they're using mm -hmm. for those categories? Um, they're underneath it. They're asking, do these people actually believe this stuff? And that is communicated, as you said, not just from passion around the gospel from the pulpit, but in, you know, the warmth of the congregation and of course, mission and all of those sorts of things. So um, that's a very good point to end on. Do we actually believe this stuff or is it just, we chose this model rather than that model? And, Hey, I've got a couple of reviews I want to share. I normally do this at the front of our episodes, but, um, you know, we've been on a break for a little while and um, maybe folks have just been a little skittish. But let me just read this one. This comes from DMAC12-12. I don't know what that means. Um, but DMAC says, I'm a local church pastor and this podcast has been a helpful resource to me. It is an enjoyable and easy listen. Great work. And may Jesus continue to be big. That's great. And he gave us five stars. Thank you so much, DMAC. That's on Apple Podcasts. Here comes Air Force Wife. Air Force Wife uh, says, funny and insightful. Five stars. She says, I'm totally not the target audience for this podcast. Air Force Wife, don't say that. If you're a Christian, you're the target audience for this podcast. She says, I'm totally not the target audience for this podcast as a stay-at-home mom with four kids, but I greatly enjoy it. Jared makes me laugh every time because it's not overly scripted. And he just says what he thinks. <laughs> I get lots of calls about that too, Air Force Wife, which I find refreshing and entertaining. She says the theology is practical and at an appropriate level for new and mature Christians alike to benefit. Keep up the good work. I'm hoping to hear some of Jared's beefs soon. It's been a while. It has been a while. I'll have to write up some new beefs. I don't know if you're familiar with that. If you listen to I, yeah. the podcast. Yeah. 
some complaints I'll have. So I'll come up with some new complaints. Two great reviews, five stars. If you enjoy the podcast, your listener, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 